Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast about failure, success, vocation, ministry, and really whatever else we decide to talk about. Here in Portland, Oregon, I'm David Libby. And I am Josh Hawk. And today we have a very special guest, uh, one of my favorite people on this spinning blue planet, a guy named Stuart Miniweather. Thank you for being here, Stuart. It's a pleasure to be here, David. And Stuart, you have been uh, pastoring here in this region for a long time now, uh, like 30 years? It was just 83. 83. We were born in 84. So, sorry, man. <laughs> you've been you've been uh, pastoring here my entire life. So, uh, tell us how you got started as a minister in the area. What um, led you to... Um, to be a minister in this area, what kind of call did you hear from God? Tell us something about that. Years ago, in 1978, we began our church on uh, Union and Mars. And um, the church was really growing, and we was close to the headquarters church. And so our bishop suggested that we kind of move out. And so we, at the time, we didn't know where we was going. And, uh, uh, but God began to direct us, so we went to Milwaukee, Oregon, which was predominant error, and uh, it was quite a challenge. So we stayed out there for, for two years, and uh, our goal was to buy the church, uh, but we discovered that they changed their mind, and they didn't want to sell us the church. And so there we was without a building, and so the Lord um, touched one of our sisters, our missionaries, uh, to uh, uh, begin to search online about churches in this area. So she found this little church on, on North Hudson Street. And so we came and visited the church. Uh, it was the um, Seventh-day Adventist, and um, God gave us a strategy as to how to approach the, the pastor. And so we came and we sit in the service. Every Wednesday night, we wouldn't say a word. We'd just sit there. <laughs> we did it for about almost a couple months. we just come and just sit. We wouldn't say anything. we just sit in the back. And so finally, one Wednesday night, uh, he invited me up to uh, share my testimony. Wow. And that was history. God gave us favor. And so, um, uh, so then it gave us an opportunity to approach him by buying the church. And so it, it was quite a challenge to buy it because there was so much prejudice in this area. Mm -hmm. And uh, matter of fact, there was a guy living by the church who did not want us to buy the church. And he said if we would buy the church, it would cause his property to lose its value. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so um, the, the pastor didn't know what to do, so he took me in, and uh, we talked to the gentleman. And uh, so God gave me a word to share with him. And that was, if this pastor sold us that church, instead of your property losing value, your property will begin to escalate in value. And so God began to bring a conviction up on him. And so he says, well, you can sell it to him if you want to. 
And uh, so uh, the pastor was very kind. He says to the gentleman, he says, well, I don't want to sell it unless you're okay at it. Because if you don't okay it, we've, been known, we've known each other for some time. And so I feel uncomfortable if, if, if you're not uh, with the okay of us selling it to, you know, to this congregation. So finally, uh, they agreed to sell us the church. And um, so uh, he wanted to sell us the church without any background research, without any title research. But God spoke to me and told me, no, don't do that. And so it took us three years to get the church hmm. because we had to do title search. Meanwhile, uh, he gave me the key to the church and gave me the authority to begin working on the church. So I was in the basement working on our kitchen. I noticed that I never saw the gentleman that lived next door. I was wondering what happened to him. And so um, there was no life in the house. Um, I never did see anybody. So finally his daughter showed up. And she came over and discovered that he had committed suicide in the basement. Oh, my God. He had shot himself with a thirty-two, took his life. And right away, that's God, uh, you know, solved our problem. So we didn't have to be confronted with uh, that kind of attitude. So we was able to move forward. Hmm. So, uh, so we came, we bought the church, and uh, we began to fast and pray. And I believe the, uh, God has revealed to us how to begin a church, how to lay the foundation. And that is by fasting and praying. We, uh, we destined going immediately to start having church. Mm. We fast and pray for three months, laid the foundation. And then after we fast and pray for three months, then God gave us the date to open up. So we began to invite people. And we started with our family. And then God began to send people. But at the same time, the people that followed us from, from, from uh, St. John, they, they was not happy uh, with our decision and the way we was carrying out the ministry. So they decided to leave. Oh, really? So all of them left. And um, so God was teaching me the importance of remaining focused on, on what he had appointed me to carry out. And I found that is very important. Mm-hmm. Never lose Never lose sight and vision of your ministry that God has given you. Once you lose sight of that vision, you can be distracted by people uh, that will come and try to offset your purpose. But because uh, we stayed focused, and matter of fact, God gave us a little sign, and we put it in front of the church. So when we walk in the church, the little sign says, keeping focus. Ah. Keeping focus. So every time we come to church, we will see that sign, keeping focus. So no matter who came, no matter who left, we never allowed ourselves to become unfocused of our mission. Sure. Wow. That's really good. So one of the things David and I have been talking a lot about is that it's easy for us to base our mission, our vision on life based on people. yeah, and we see that, I mean, inside and outside the church, like we are, we're such a p- 
people pleasing society, you know, and we see this with the Facebook, um, with social media, with the internet, like we put our stuff out there and we hope, you know, to get comments and to get likes and we just want people to like us. Um, and, and we've talked about this as pastors, how easy it is to slip into that, um, know that temptation to do church, to preach, to, um, uh, to base our programs and the things that we do at the church, to base them on what people want rather than on what God has, has called us to. Um, and that's something in your life, you know, that you, you are a great testimony of that. I think where you have been able to keep focused, um, in, and stay that course, you know, saying people are going to come and go, um, but God has called me to this, and I am going to continue in that direction. Um, that faithfulness and the obedience, those are, you know, two words that we've talked a lot about. Um, and when I think of you, Stuart, that's, those are two words that come to mind, you know, pretty quickly, that faithfulness and then obedience um, in the same direction over a long period of time. Yeah, speaking of faithfulness and obedience, what I find interesting about your story, and I, I want you to talk more on this. Um, you, we see a lot of church plants and new churches show up in the area and that's wonderful and amazing. And I'm not here to knock new churches. I think that's great. Um, but you hear about strategy when you're starting new churches and often you have to gather together regularly and plan out how you're going to launch your church a year from now or whatnot. And you guys took a completely different tack. And um, I find it interesting where you said, we didn't, we didn't go at it with a strategy. We prayed and we fasted and we just listened to the spirit. Um, you, you still do that. Hmm. You're still spending a lot of time in prayer, in fasting. How has that impacted your ministry? What hmm. kind of effects do you see hmm. from prayer and fasting? Things that we should all be doing as Christians and sometimes yeah. fall by the wayside. I see this as very, very important. God shared with me in the beginning of the ministry that this was not my ministry. This was his ministry. These was not my people. These was his people. And never feel, get the impression that you own mm. my people. Mm. So with that understanding, um, God taught me that if I am to obey him, then I must communicate with him. I must stay before him for him to give me what the people need. Not what the people want, but what they need. I almost fell into that trap worrying about the, you know, the crowd. Every Sunday morning, God and I used to fuss. I used to fuss with God every <laughs> Sunday morning. <laughs> Where the crowd? You and I both, right? I'm done what you spoke, I'm done what you told me to do. But what happened? Where's the people? I know. And yep. Uh, yep. so one Sunday morning I walked in. The Lord says to me, the most important thing 
is being able to meet the needs of the people. It's not the crowd. But it's being able to meet the needs of those he sent to us. If it's only one, minister to that need to, to the point that that individual become developed where he's able to exist on his own faith. And that, what, that is what we have focused on, is developing those uh, that God sent to us. We preach to them as though we have a church full of people because our goal is to do what thus says the Lord because if we can get that one soul established, that one soul will be responsible for others coming into the kingdom. And so God has given us this strategy. You know, it's not in the crowd. I would love to have a big crowd every Sunday morning. But the most important thing is waiting on God, letting God lead you in the service. I have also learned, God has also taught me how important it is to observe those who come to the service. Many times we as preachers, when we share the message, we look over the people. Uh, we don't look at the people. So therefore, we don't, we, we're not able to discern the reaction of the people, whether the people acknowledging what we're saying or whether the people is coming bored in what we're saying. And you see that happening uh, so often today. Uh, even the big television ministry, uh, people, it's something about it. They, they won't look the people in the face. They're looking up in the air, and they're looking over the people. In other words, the word is going over them and not to them. Yeah. But the, what God has taught me, the most important thing is observe the people. Because when you observe the people, he can adjust your ministry. He can adjust your word. When you see a person nodding over there, God will give you a word how to wake that person up how to keep him inspired, how to keep him motivated. So it's hard. People have a hard time sitting in my service to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> because I watch them, and, and so uh, God allows me to take, a, uh, um, you know, to take another level of ministry. In other words, he gives me, uh, um, he energized me to... Um, to be more uh, aggressive in the word, see. And the old preachers, uh, they have a strategy, know when to raise your voice, know when to be quiet. Mm. So it's knowing when to raise that voice, knowing when to keep it quiet. That way you're able to really communicate with the people. So I found the very important thing, David, is to... Uh, is to stay in communication with God. Yeah. God, these are God's people. The thing that impresses me, what Jesus, remember what Jesus said? I can't on my own self do nothing. Yeah. As my Father speaks, so I speak. When we learn that as leaders, we won't become so discouraged. We'll become so borne out, feel defeated, when we learn that this is not our message. God wants us to listen to him so he can whisper in our ear to give us what to say to the people. And once that happens, you see people moving to different levels in the congregation. But mm -hmm. until that happens, people 
they reside in their box, in their comfort zone. They won't get out of the comfort zone. Hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I am. Um, I had this thought while you were talking about preachers looking over the congregation and not looking to connection and the needs of their people. And I had a couple of thoughts. The first was from a professor of mine in college who said, you need to be able to let go of your sermon. Because sometimes we come in and we plan out this thing and the most important thing to us is to present it the way we've prepped it, the way we've practiced it. And sometimes that's not what the people need. And you need to be able to let go of that. And the second thing I thought is you don't stop being a pastor when you're a preacher. Oh, that's good. Like, you know, you don't, you don't pastor before church and then become a preacher and then become a pastor again after you've preach you, you you remain a pastor and so you need to be looking at the needs of your people which it sounds like is something that um god's been putting on your heart for your whole life i don't am i am i right you're right okay you're, you're, you're <laughs> right you're right you're right you know um a few years ago you know i was in prayer and god led me to that script in the book of jeremiah where he was speaking to Jeremiah about the false prophets and about the false pastors, hmm. how they was preaching when he told when they when he had not authorized them to preach, hmm. they was going in his name when he hadn't sent them in his name, and so he says to Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, he says, if my leaders would learn to stay in my court until they receive a word from me, then their messages will bring about a change to my people. In other words, what God, is, God was saying, if you don't stay in the court long enough for me to give you what to say to my people, then your word will not bring about the, the, the transformation that is necessary in the people's lives. But if you stay in my court and allow me to speak through you and use you as, a, as an instrument, God says, I'll guarantee you, you will see people begin to become fruitful. They'll bear fruit. You will see the spirit of conviction working uh, real uh, uh, strong in the services. You, when you make the altar appeal, people will get up, come, because the word, the message has penetrated their heart. Mm. And that's why it's so important to stay there until God give you word for his people. I was reading this morning where God was speaking to uh, uh, Jeremiah. And he says to Jeremiah, he says, I ordain you a prophet from the womb. And he says, now I want you to go and speak what I command you. He said the same thing to Ezekiel. I want you to go and speak what I command you. Mm. You are my messenger. Mm. You're my messenger. Yeah. Hey. That's good. I love that image of a being with God. And we we shortchange that. And I think there's something I was reminded of just recently. So thinking kind of my own emotions and kind of the ups and downs of my emotions and 
Um, the message that I heard loud and clear was just go be with Jesus. Um, you know, we can, we can strategize, we can have all the right tools. Um, we can get to the point where we don't really need God. You know, we, we've got it all figured out. We have the programs in place and, and the, the charisma and the know-how and, and we're very likable people and we just go make friends and, and draw a big crowd. Um, but that's always going to leave us wanting more and more and more. And I think, you know, David, that's one of the things that is, I think, foundational to this podcast um, is realizing that as as we reach for these things that we think we want, um, it, it always leaves us void. Um, I think it was the second episode that we did. We talked about um, Elijah and the Mount Carmel experience. And, you know, Elijah pushed and pushed, and this was this mountaintop experience for him um, where God showed up in a major way. Um, but that didn't seem to really fill Elijah's heart uh, because that's in First Kings chapter 18. And then in the 19th chapter, we see Elijah running for, for his life, and he's convinced that he's going to die. Um, and then God, God meets him, not in the expected ways, but in the least expecting ways. Mm-hmm. God meets him in the still small voice, kind of from within the cave. Um, and that need for us to hear God's voice, to be with God in the cave, to be with God in in the places where it's not the crowd, where it's not the big mountaintop experience, um, but in those times of prayer and fasting and just repeatedly as well. It's not like, okay, I got my fix, you know, um, when I was... You know, 25, I spent a week with God and now I'm good, you know, for, for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> but this continual need just to just to be with God, to be in his courts, um, as he told Jeremiah. That's good. So one of the things, um, Stuart, that you you shared, you said you would fuss with God every Sunday. I, I love that. I really, really love that, um, that image. But you would fuss with him about the crowds, and um, you know you you pastored, you've done ministry, you know for most of your life, um, and you never kind of arrived at that point where God just brought all these crowds of people. Like you never became this Billy Graham or this Luis Palau, um, and but there's this piece I think that that I I know that. Um, I've experienced being with you, being in relationship with you, um, with this obedience and this faithfulness and this peace with, with who God has called you to be and where God has placed you to be. Um, did you get to a point in your life and in your ministry where you started fussing with God less, or was that kind of a continual kind of struggle and wrestle? Once God and I settled that, that was it. Hmm. Our, our, my relationship with him be, began more stronger and more devout with him because he taught me it wasn't in the crowd. It was being obedient to him mm-hmm. and ministering to those that he was sent. Spend time with them. Love them. Build the image back up. You know, build the self-image back up. Many times, there was a young man came to our church and his the congregation that he came from uh, had really, really beat him down 
in his image hmm. to the point where he had no good image about himself. He didn't have no pride in himself whatsoever. And so he came to our church, and uh, we began to pray for him and love him and, uh, and share the word with him. And we discovered the word is the secret. Hmm. Once a person becomes grounded in the word, he, he discovers himself. He discovered that he's not what people say he was. He's what God say he is. And so he, he grew, and to the point, uh, he began to have faith, and when he stand up, he would talk confidence. He would be very passionate about himself. And so I saw that. God revealed to me, said, well, uh, you, he have he have reached a point now where he can go home. And so I says to him one Sunday morning, I said, son, I said, you know, uh, it's time for you to go home now. God have given you uh, your image, have given your confidence back now. Go back and let the people see the change in your life. Oh, I want to stay with you guys. I says, no, God don't want you to stay with us. God wants you to go back home now. Because God has has changed you uh, from what the people saw of you. So when the people see you, now you got a testimony. Yeah. You got you got something to hold a conversation with. And so uh, we never heard from him anymore. Mm. So um, so it's learning who the boss is, David. Yeah. When we discover who the boss is, that's good. Then we'll stay in our place. Relative to the ownership that you talked about, he's like, you know, God. Oh, God told you, this isn't your ministry, it's my ministry. This isn't your people, it's my people. And when we, when we recognize that, I, th- I think it's definitely a wrestling match. And it seems, you know, listening to you speak, this fussing with God, you know, like, I'm sure you had some words with God. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, come on, this, this struggle. We talked with Linda Joe, you know, a while back, and, and she talked about this wonderful failure. And like, oh, when did that happen? And she goes, oh, it was two years where God and I kind of wrestled over this idea of, of my failure being wonderful. Um, and so there is, I think there's this, this wrestling bit, but I think it's important, you know, once, once we settled it, once God settles it, you know, for you, it's settled, it's done. And for you to then to have that, um, oh, that perspective of saying these people are not my people, they're God's people allows you to do that when God, so for this man, when, when God brings somebody you know, along your path, it's easy for us to just to cling to them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. especially as pastors, like mm-hmm. we're trying to build a church. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, now go invite all your friends and bring them, you know, so mm-hmm. we can grow this crowd. Mm-hmm. And it's very backwards to say, okay, you've got your identity solved. You're a new man now. Now go. And, and it's that recognition that you are God's, you're not mine. And so God has more things for you, um, you know, and you have your own call. Um, and so to be able to send people away, that's completely backwards. Um, it's backwards and it's hard to do for, um, I know, I know this episode has hung a lot on people in professional church ministry. Um, but part of the problem with professional church ministry is that uh, when you do that, that's less support for you and your life. And so it not only hurts to, you know, set a person free to go uh, 
to go share the love of God elsewhere, you're you're also um, losing that that person who may be supporting you in what you're mm-hmm. doing. So it's it's doubly difficult in um, a relationship way and in a selfish way. <laughs> yeah, you you know, uh, we was in Milwaukee and now uh, we was getting ready for our Sunday evening service, and the saints were slow gathering. And up walks this young lady with her family. And so out there I was, didn't know what to do. And uh, so I said, God, I said, what shall I do? Should I start service, or should I wait for the people? Mm. And um, service time came, and the Lord said, Begin service. Don't wait on nobody. Just start service. I've sent you this soul to minister to. So if I sit and wait, she's going to get up and leave and go on about her business. So anyway, I got up and I sung. I led the praise worship by myself. I read the scripture. And then when it came time to preach, I preached. There was nobody there but her uh, but me and her and her, and her little daughter. And when I finished preaching, she came up, she accepted the Lord hmm. as her Savior. Wow. God changed her life. She went home and brought her husband back that next Sunday. And uh, he wasn't used to attending black churches. So, uh, so he never did come back. But God truly saved that young lady. Yeah. She didn't miss a service. And when we left, uh, when we left Milwaukee, she followed us here to St. John. Mm. Wow! And she was living in Beaverton, so we allowed her to come two or three times. And the Lord says to me, um, "Release her and let her um, attend the service in her location." So I says, "I, I says, um, uh, I says, Becky, I says, uh, you know." Uh, we love you, and we, we just enjoy having you here in the service. But we know that it's a challenge driving clear from Beaverton over here. And so what we suggest to you is to go and find a good Bible-believing church and, and, uh, and attend it. And uh, so she wrote us a, one of the most wonderful letters, you know, thanking us how much how we allowed her to grow and develop and become steadfast in her faith. And that's the, and that's, that's the secret, is being able to help people to the point, develop people to the point where you're not afraid to release them. Yeah. Mm. See? Oh, man. See? Yeah. Because you know that person is going to be a sound witness no matter where they go. Right. They're going to they're remain who they are. Because you have, you have taught them to recognize their position in Christ. And we felt confidence. We knew down our heart that the enemy was not going to steal her. We knew that she was under the blood. Yeah. And no matter where she went, we knew that she was going to be a witness. Yeah. And you talk about that fear, not being afraid that, uh, to set them free it is pretty self-centered of us to think uh well if if she leaves my care yeah 
then then she's toast. Like 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 I have anything to mm-hmm. do with that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like like God can't take care of her without me. That's a pretty self-centered way of thinking and yet mm. um how protective do we get of our people and um fearful that yeah. if if they leave God can't continue to um hold them in his care. We must never become right. fearful. Right. We must allow people to feel free to the extent that when they attend our churches, they're not bound and obligated to us. We, don't, we want them to be obligated to God. Yeah. Yep. That's our goal, is to uh, not only be so focused on us, so obligated to us, but we want them to be obligated to God. If they come to church, they come because they want to serve God. And through them serving God, the needs of the church is going to be met. When they leave, God will always put someone in their place. He always does it. Everyone who left our church, God always replaced them with someone else. Wow. It was a, it was a cycle. When one leave, God will bring another one. The other one leave, God will bring another one. And everyone whom God sent, God allowed us to develop them, grow them. There was one lady came to the church. She didn't have, uh, she didn't have a, a job. Um, she didn't have no confidence in herself. Um, she, um, uh, her car always would go, de- go dead on her. Uh, she, she'll be on place and the car just, just go dead. And I said to her, I says, ma'am, I said, if you will be faithful for 30 days, God's going to change that situation. She came to the Sunday night service for 30 days. Within that 30 days, she had a better job. She had a brand, almost brand new car. Then God didn't stop there. God gave her son a job. Wow. Yeah. So, it's working with those whom God sends to you. Remember that woman at the well? One, one, one person, one soul. Right. Yeah. The quality of time Jesus spent with that one soul. I had one preacher. I invited him to preach at the church, and uh, he says to me, he said, Brother, he said, I can't preach the, I can't preach the benches. In other words, he was saying to me, there's nobody here to preach to. I felt bad for him. I felt sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Because he had forgotten, he had forgotten the true purpose of the ministry. One soul is valuable. If you have 99 people, you lose one, you go and search for the one that you lost. Right. Hmm. My friend, uh, my friend Andy just said to me recently, I I was talking about one of the things that we're finding in uh, the North Portland area is that it becomes very difficult to remain optimistic as pastor because people continue to move away. That's, that's pretty universal in this area. Like, it, it, it continues to happen. It's an expensive area to live. And, um, and I said, like, I don't know how to what to say when people continue to come up to me and say, where is everybody? <laughs> you, you, 
Like, nobody's here. How do you respond to that? And he said, I always just say, you're here, and that's enough. Mm. I mean, it's, it's hard to remember that when you're in the thick of it. But you're here, and that's enough is, is the way I think we ought to be thinking. Because God's put people in our place. Mm-hmm. God's put people um, in front of us. And those are the people he has for us. You remember, you remember what um, God says in the hundred Psalm. He says, "Know ye that the Lord He is God." Yes. These are the sheep of His pasture. These are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So he, if, if they are the sheep of his pastor, then he's responsible for feeding them. Then we are responsible for staying connected to him so we can give them his true message. And, as, um, and so if, if, if we would do that as, as leaders, is to stay connected with the one whom we serve then we will find we won't be so concerned about the ones who come and the one who goes. But our most, our most, um, uh, you know, uh, concern would be, am I really pleasing God? Mm. Because when we do what God tells us to do, God guarantees growth. Growth's going to come. It may not come in a big abundance. It may not come through big crowds. But growth would come. Right. Right. It may come through that one individual, that woman at the well. Look what happened to her. A whole city came because of one person. Yeah. Yeah. And think of who that, that woman who you sent off to Beaverton. Mm-hmm. Think of what kind of ministry she's doing there now. That's right. And what kind of ripple effects that has had. That's mm-hmm. right. So. It's that releasing that, oh, like working with people, staying connected with people, and then releasing them to do great and big things, you know, or to to do what God has called them to do. Um, it's allowing them to take to take the credit for then. Um, I think of the woman of the well that Jesus encountered, you know, and and her testimony. Then she was able to have a huge impact on her community, Jesus wasn't the, um, oh, he, he wasn't the person kind of that got all the glory or the fame in that, in that story. It was the relationships that the woman of the well had, you know, that she went on then and she was able to kind of continue that, that story. And, and who knows how many lives were transformed because of that simple encounter. Um, and then years and years down the road, like she's then, you know, as this great grandmother or something, you know, talking, um, you know, speaking truth and and life into, you know, her great grandkids who have no idea who Jesus was or who never met him. Um, you know, and, and, but, but this woman really became Jesus to, to her family, you know, or, and to those in, in the community, all because of that one time that Jesus was willing to preach to the one person, um, and we we want we want the fame. We want it to be about us rather than about 
about God's kingdom, about the glory, about the truth. Um, and so, oh man, there are so many of us who we, we refuse to preach to benches. I like that, you know, like that. I, I, like pastor, I, I can't come and preach at your church because I can't preach to benches. Like I, I can only preach to to people. Like man, if there's one person in that bench, that's that's enough. That's right. Um, that's right. Because it's not, it's not about us. Um, and we make it. We try to make it about us, especially like as pastors. We we can have ego trips so easy, um, and uh, and it's so easy, so easy for us to make it make it about us rather than to remember our true calling and our true purpose. Well, and and it happens so subtly. I wouldn't it say does. that it's uh, it's like a a negative thing in our heads. Uh, we might come in thinking, I prepped this message for a long time, and a bunch of people need to hear this because it's important. This is this yeah. is good stuff here, and and like God's gonna speak through this. And when if if there's only one or two in front of me, I might be thinking, uh, no, like a bunch more people need to hear this thing. Forgetting that this message, God may seep it into their lives and that message may go out to so many more mm-hmm. through them. Mm-hmm. And so it, um, it's, it's not necessarily a negative thing in our heads and it happens so subtly and I think that's actually part of the problem. Because mm-hmm. you see, sometimes, David, we can lose the enthusiasm yeah. and the motivation of ministry because we don't have a big crowd to preach to. Yeah, right. We, we, we stop preparing ourselves. Huh. We don't study as much as we should. Because we feel in our heart, well, nobody going to show up Sunday. Yeah. Same old folks going to show up Sunday. Yep. Who am I to know who's going to show up next Sunday? Right, right, right. The very time you let down and not study, that's the very time God going to send a group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there you are, unprepared. So right. the leader must never lose focus of his purpose. He must always keep his, uh, keep his focus, his purpose fresh in his mind. His, his purpose, his focus is, is to please God. Yeah. A yeah. shepherd don't wait until he gets a, a large group of of sheep, sheeps. Right. He's faithful over those few little sheeps until they begin to grow. Mm. But if he be faithful over those few little sheeps, yeah. he'll have the joy of one day of being over a herd of sheeps. Mm. You know, um, you know, uh, comment on what you said a few minutes ago. Uh, there's a guy who used to come to our church on a Sunday morning he would always tell me, he says, more people need to hear your message. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, people say that nicely. They think they're giving you a compliment, and yet all that does is hurt you. <laughs> but I, I would take it that God is, 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 is going to give me that opportunity uh, to speak to a greater crowd. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. now here I am, retired. As a pastor, 
I'm speaking to more people than I ever spoken in my life every week. Mm. Hundreds of people every week. Sometimes two and three hundred people. I only preach to 10, 12 people a Sunday for months in a year. But God taught me, if you be faithful over few, I make you rule over many. I think I read that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's, it's keeping focus of your purpose. Never losing sight of why God called you. Your goal is to please him. Your goal is to be his messenger. Acts 1 and 8, it says, you shall receive power yeah. after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, says the Lord, unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utmost part of the earth. That's, that's our purpose. Our purpose is to be his witnesses. Where we go, witness to one person. Here's something that really impressed me. Uh, when God sent Philip down to Samaria, Philip was having a revival of his life. People were getting saved. Demons were being cast out. Sick were being healed. I mean, the city was in a city was was in an uproar of of revival. In the midst of that revival, God says to him, "Leave." They could have got in one of the biggest arguments. Said, don't, don't you see where, where I am? Don't you, don't you see all these people here or waiting on me to speak to them? And you telling me to go? I don't know where I'm going. He says, leave. But the important thing and outstanding thing about it, Philip obeyed. He didn't know where he was going. He just took off. And there he met this guy sitting in the chariot. And the, and the, and the Spirit of the Lord says, go and Go and join him. But there's only one person over one there. One person, that's one person. Then <laughs> he thought about all of those people he left. That's but where it, the party was. That's where the spirit was, right? But here was one of the most transforming experiences of his life. Yeah. Because he obeyed God. When he finished baptizing that unit, the spirit gave him a, it caught him up. Next time they heard of Philip, he was in Azota, preaching the gospel. But if he hadn't obeyed God, he never would have had that experience. Mm. Yeah. Elijah, Elisha was so obedient to God. So when, so when the king sent a message to find Elijah, when the servant found Elijah, and, and Elijah told him that he would go and meet the king. So he says, now, don't, don't set me up now because I, I know how God works with you. Because <laughs> when I leave, God's sooner to catch you up and take you somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. You know, when we reach that place of obedience, God will catch us up in our ministry. He'll catch us up. The anointing will take us places where we never, never traveled before. Hmm. But it's obedient, obeying God. Wow. And that is the secret. That's when God told me to stop pastoring years in 90, it was 93. I fussed with God a couple Sundays about it. When he first told me, I, I said to him, I said, what am I going to do? He said, I want you to stop pastoring. I want you to rent this church out. 
I said, what am I going to do? He didn't say a word. Next Sunday morning, I came to church. When I walked, step, walked in the door, I heard him say again, rent the church out. I said to him, what am I going to do? And um, a guy had called me months before. I heard that you renting your church out. I said, who told you that? <laughs> so when I finally obeyed God that Sunday morning, uh, I said, after I obeyed him, I said, okay, all right. You said stop pastoring, so I'm going to stop pastoring. I'm going to tell the people this morning, this is the end of the Open Bible Church. You're free to go where you want to. I finished preaching. I said, folks, I says, today the Lord has led me to stop pastoring. I said, as of today, the open Bible church is no more. Mm. And it was most of my family there that Sunday morning. I've never seen them so happy. Every goal, I had about seven or eight goals I had before God. I couldn't reach a one of them. I mean, every one of them, I put a check mark behind because I couldn't reach it. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't accomplish it. I obeyed God, and I stopped pastoring for three years. I didn't know what I was going to do. God sent me back to my former pastor and told me to go back and help him. I stayed with him for three years. At the same time, my father was, was dying. He was sick. He had a cancer, and I didn't know it. But those three years, I, God allowed me to spend quality time with my dad. Mm. And so if I had a, a still been pastoring, I'd never been able to have that quality time with him every Sunday, praying together, you know, being there together in, on the platform. So after three years, God told me after he passed, God says, time to go back. Mm. I had rented the church out. So I wrote the pastor a letter who was who was in the church and told him, said, brother, I says, uh, I said, the next month we'll be coming back to the church and we would like a possession of the church and we appreciate it if you would find you another place. We went back to that church. The moment we stepped our foot in the door, we prayed, we prayed for, for a whole month before we opened up. I told the, I told the, the, my wife and him, I said, you guys stay here at the church. I says, I'm going to the church, and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to fast. So I came to the church. I fast and prayed and waited till God give me instruction. After 30 days, God told me to put my sign out. A guy in the community, uh, he was, he was, um, uh, he was um, soliciting voters to help him to uh, you know, to be in an office in the community, in the government. And so he says, Pastor, he says, uh, would it be all right if I come over Sunday and talk to your people? I said, well, I don't have nobody. He looked at me. And so within a month's time, God had rebirthed our church. Not only had he rebirthed it, but every goal that we had on the paper, I can show it to you now. I got it home. I keep it for, you know, uh, for memento. Every goal, we went, went back to the church. We reached it. All the finance we needed, within, within three months, four months' time, we had our church paid off. Wow. Everything that we reached, 
And the only goal that have not been completed, and that is training. And we will never finish that. We've never reached that goal. Yeah. But all the goals that God gave us, we had on that paper, God allowed us. When we obey God, uh-huh. we never lose. Yeah. So you're saying you, you were not able to accomplish the goals that God had given you until you surrendered completely. Until, until you, I surrendered completely until to you him. Left, left pastoring, until you stopped doing that thing that God said. And, and just confusing, I imagine. You're like, wait, God, you're telling me to leave. You're telling me to step down. You're telling me to close the church. But I haven't, I haven't been able to do these things that you told me. And you, you know what my friends would come up and say to me? You're crazy. They said, "Man, God, <laughs> God, they're gonna whoop you because you know you should be pastoring." Uh, I had a close friend. He would always tell, "Man, you ought to be shame yourself. You know you should be pastoring." I said, "Man, I said, look, I said, I heard God, and I'm obeying God." Wow. Good for you. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a tough thing to do. That's a tough uh, call to make. Um, it's almost as if we think we know God better than than God knows. God knows God. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I what I've always been really um, impressed is the wrong word. Um, what's always um, helped me when I'm when I'm looking at you and the way that you do ministry is. The way that you've given all your plans and everything over mm. to God first. Mm. That, that you always start with prayer. And I don't just mean what we talked about today. Um, occasionally you'll have things, uh, services at our church. And there's a good hour and a half beforehand of just silence mm. and prayer and crying out to God. And I think of most modern Christians, and if we counted up the amount of minutes that we pray in a day, you know, 20 seconds before lunch, a minute before a meeting, Mm. maybe before bed, it's like two minutes in a day. And... um. Knowing God and listening to God before bringing God's word to people seems to be the way that it should be. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been taken by the way that you've been faithful to listening to God before speaking about God. Yeah. And there's this enthusiasm and excitement that we talked about, you know, how it's hard to muster that up if there's no crowds. And that's something, brother, that when I think of you, I think of faithfulness and obedience, but enthusiasm and excitement as well. And that hasn't come, that hasn't come from the crowds, but that has come for you from being with God. Um, and that's, that's how it should be, you know, like that, that enthusiasm that, um, oh, that we, we should have that joy. I think that deep joy, that that happiness, um, comes not from pleasing lots of people, but from being with God, from spending spending that time in prayer. 
we talk we talk about prayer more than we actually pray. Um, that's something that's been impressed on my heart the last couple of years is like, just shut up and pray. Um, <laughs> and yeah. So. You, you know what Jesus said? He said, when you pray, enter into your closet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every pastor must have a closet. It does literally means of closet like that. But have a place where you and God can be can be shut away, just you and God. Right. And I found different places in my home where I make it my closet, where me and God become right. shut away. Stand with Him, talking with Him, listening to Him. I find it it is one of the most exciting journey that a leader can experience. It's when he get into the presence of God and listen at God. One thing I've discovered, God, you'll never be behind on anything. God will always keep you ahead of your time. When people are just coming into things, you already done did it. You're already ahead. And it's exciting because God keeps you. He, you know, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, I was fasting and praying. I went by myself because I really wanted to hear God's voice. And I was searching for my true purpose, you know, what God wanted me to do. I'll never forget that Sunday morning as I was there in the convocation by myself. And I heard the power of God came up on me. I heard just as clear. He says, my words shall be in thy mouth like a fire. I came back home. My totally ministry changed. God gave me so, so much, so my enthusiasm became so strong until when I get up, it's just like I'm going to fly away. Mm. Sometimes I'll be preaching at a little church. Sometimes it's like I'm floating on air, like I'm walking on air. Mm. Only be about four or five people there. But the joy and the excitement of sharing God's word and seeing God work. Many times we look for miracles. We look for miracles to happen among big crowds. Uh-huh. These signs shall follow them that believe. I had preached one Sunday morning, and this lady had came to our chair in a wheelchair. Came to our service in a wheelchair. I didn't know what was wrong with her. I didn't know the doctor had gave up to die. I know she was dying. And, uh, but I had this strong compassion for her. When God gives you compassion for people, that's the time when you're going to see his hand move. That's why the Bible says Jesus had compassion on the people. Whenever God moves you with compassion towards people, never, never draw back. Let the Holy Spirit have full control. So after I finished preaching, I had this strong compassion to go toward her, to pray for her. I got far from here to her, far from me to, to, to Josh, to Josh there from her. I went to touch her, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me touch her. He knocked me back. I felt this great force come down upon me between her and the woman, me and the woman. But I knew God had did something. 
that Wednesday, uh, we're having dinner, and she says to me, she says, Pastor, she says, um, I was painting all around my waist. Her son had sold everything she had because the doctor had gave up. She was supposed to die. She wasn't supposed to live. That woman lived many years after that. God raised her up. We have seen great miracles in the midst of small people, and that's what God taught us. It's not in the crowd. It's those whom I send to you to meet their needs. Wow. So look for that person that God will allow you to focus on to meet that need. Because once you meet that need, it's going to attract others. It's going to cause others to get excited. You must believe in what you have. You must believe in what you're doing. If a, if a leader doesn't believe in what he has, if you don't believe in this message, then it's hard to convince others to accept this message. But you must believe, once that word go out of your mouth, you must believe it have an effect. Even though you can't see it, but you must believe that the message that God has given you, because it didn't come from you, it came from God. It may be weeks before you find out the effects of it. But every time you preach in faith, we that sow, we must sow in faith, not in doubt. If we sow in faith, God can give us a harvest. Mm. Mm. It's a good word. It's a good word. Well, uh, I think that's a good place to wrap up our time here. Uh, we could we could talk for another two hours, uh, but, you know, people have lives. Uh, <laughs> we have families, and they uh, they probably want to see us tonight. Uh, but, man, we I just want to thank you so much, Stuart, for yeah. coming on with us. This has been just a tremendous delight for us. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is my dream is to be able to sit down to talk to younger pastors. Mm. That's my prayer. That's my desire. It's for God to allow me to sit down and talk to young men like you. Because then I know that what I'm doing, what God has given me, is not in vain. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Man. Well, so thank, thank you again for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you, you for coming yeah. on. Yeah. Thank you, brother, for your faithfulness, for your obedience, for your enthusiasm, and for your excitement. Um, it is contagious for sure, and it's inspirational. Um, your life continues to inspire me. Um, and uh, now, when I'm, I'm gonna think about you now. Every time I, I'm fussing with God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's biblical. Read the Psalms, man. Yeah, that's right. That's like good. half of them are about people fussing with God. Um, that's well, good. we've got. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. So if you want to. Um, if you got some thoughts on this uh, podcast at all, you can tweet at us or write us on Facebook or Instagram at unsuccesspod, and uh, we'd be happy to keep that conversation going. For the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. And we will see you next week.